Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is great tech trends with my friend, Mike Mulqueen. How's it going there, Mike? Great, Joe. How are you? Very good. Very good. I'm really looking forward to this topic, Mike, and I've been prepping offline and messing with technology all morning. So glad we're finally actually recording this. So, Mike, before we get started, please introduce yourself and your company. Yeah, my name is Mike Mulqueen. I'm with JBF Consulting. I head up the what we call the blueprint practice, which is essentially helping shippers, primarily we work with shippers, align their business needs with the technology ecosystem that's out there today. So I've been with uh, JBF for about six years. Prior to JBF, I was with Accenture for a bit of time where, uh, again, I worked with on the transportation side, my primary customer at the U.S. Postal Service, helping them with transportation-related issues. I've also spent a good amount of time, about half my career, doing product management for three different companies, UPS Logistics Technologies, which is now part of Omnitracks, for Logistics, which is now part of Blue Yonder, and Manhattan Associates. So I was a senior director of transportation before joining JBF at Manhattan Associates. So you've been on both sides of this. You've been on the technology company side. You're working with the biggest freight tech companies. And you've also been on the representing the shipper side. That's kind of what you do now, right? You're working with the largest. Exactly, Joe. And actually, I, I forgot. Um, I was actually was in industry for a little bit. I was at CNS Wholesale Grocers for a short stint back in uh, 2006, seven. Oh, so you've uh, lived so, that too. <laughs> so I've lived that too, yeah, as, as Director of Transportation Systems for, for CNS. Uh, so kind of all different angles here. And I like the angle that I'm in right now the most, Joe, because when you're doing work for a software company, you only have one answer. And that is the software that I'm trying to sell or the, right. the software that I'm working with, right? As a strategy consultant, we work with shippers and we just try to create and recommend and then ultimately work with them to implement the best solutions that are out there on the market. So if I have a solution that I'm implementing and it's not the right solution, well, shoot, it was my fault, right? Right. So it's a great place to be right now because there's just this space, that the logistics technology space, as you know, Joe, I mean, you live this every day. It's just so dynamic. There's right. so much going on. Right. Well, I like getting your two cents on it because you work with not just any shippers, you work with the biggest shippers. We did a podcast before with you and Brad, which was, I think you guys work with Fortune 500 shippers. So they're the big ones, yeah. not... <laughs> yeah. Not mom, and pop. <laughs> the, the vast majority of our, we have, I think, one or two shippers that are under $100 million, but the vast majority are $500 million to well over a billion dollars. Right. So these so, are these are very large, complex, global shippers, multimodal right. shippers, oftentimes with private fleets or dedicated fleets, a big parcel. So these are challenging organizations. And right. it's not just simply plugging something in, in three weeks and saying bye, right? right. These are long, big enterprise engagements. Right. And I think since you, you, so you work with the biggest TMS companies, you work with the biggest shippers and you've got that background on both sides. And I think that's, that gives you some unique insights. And again, since you're always matching the big shippers with the big TMS, you see some of the trends that I might not see on a day to day. And one of the things we were talking about, I think is kind of interesting is when you're talking about freight brokers or 3PLs that have technology, they might be working with a shipper who they think this is a great customer. They spend a million bucks a year and that's a great customer. Well, you have a lot more flexibility because they might be one location, right? And you say, I got to go train four guys there. And that implementation, even though it can be painful for the million dollars spend people, it's not nearly like that 
big implementation that you're used to. But I think in some ways that means that's, that we can move faster on the lower end of the market. Yeah. And, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there were no solutions for the lower end of the market. Right. You, you had a, it was a big TMS. First off, it was on premise. So there's huge hardware. You need to have internal IT resources. You need to have a DBA and a system administrator. You need to have planning for upgrade. This was a big expense and only the very largest shippers could deal with it. The SaaS based subscription models make this level of technology and very, very good technology, even outside the leading TMS guys. Very, very good technology that's now accessible to smaller shippers, smaller freight brokers. Right. Yeah, so it, that evolution is kind of democratized, we shall say, the, the software space for, for right. shippers and, and, and smaller uh, brokers. Yeah, and when we were prepping, you kind of made the point that when you're a big shipper and you've got all these installed locations and everybody using it, you've been doing it for 25 years and you paid a fortune, the last thing you want is, yeah, hey, look, I got this little cool thing I can do. We can upgrade you. Like, oh, you know what? That's, that's not going to be easy given you might be stuck and I won't say stuck, you might have be a few years behind because it's not easy to update all the time. You're right. So, and this was the legacy of the, of the on-premise TMS providers, right? So, and especially the larger ones. Right. So you would go and you would implement the software and it, it might take you a year to implement inbound and then another six months or nine months to implement outbound freight settlement, all these different components. And by the time you're done, you are now two years behind and the <laughs> software companies typically would do one or two new releases per year. And all of a sudden now you are going to be forced. And, and ultimately, I always judged my skill as a product manager based on how quickly I could get organizations to upgrade. Was I creating compelling capabilities that would make them want to upgrade? But typically, the reason why these organizations would upgrade, everything was running okay. There was no real reason. It would become obsolescence of third-party tools right. or my organization would stop supporting your version because you're on such an old release. That means that what I was building wasn't all that compelling to right. my shipper community. It reminds me of one of my buddies. He's an automotive guy. And he did a very good job, top job in a supplier. And I remember they were switching over to, I won't mention anybody, big ERP system. And he was like probably late 50s. And I remember I said, I kept saying, we'd be at a football game or golfing or whatever. I'd say, what's going on? How's it going? And he goes, oh, I was doing that. Still doing that ERP implementation. And he says, I already told senior management, this is it. I'm never, ever doing this again. I will retire before I do one more of these. I keep thinking that's the guy you talk to. <laughs> Say, hey, Mike's back. He's got some great ideas. Like, screw that guy. Don't ever come in my building again. I love the software. I just don't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was the problem, right? So you, you would get stuck on software and just because of the cost, you could not generate an ROI. When you're going up to the, to the chief financial officer, you need to pretty much have an ROI for, for your spend. The ROI essentially was, well, we're going to just try not to break anything when we upgrade. But we have to upgrade because our Oracle version is no longer supported. Things along those lines where essentially there was a gun to your head where you had to do it, but it wasn't all that compelling. The right. new paradigm in the SaaS world is these continuous upgrades, right? You get an email on Friday night saying the system will be down for 15 minutes from between 1 a.m. and 1.15 right. in the morning while we do an upgrade. So all of those headaches and getting stuck on some old version or having customizations that you built out into that application that have never been ported forward by the software vendor. All of a sudden, the, all those issues now are starting to go away, right? So that's a really good thing in terms of uh, uh, benefits for shippers. Well, that brings us to one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is that we talked about in prep was 
this migration from on-premise to the cloud. So again, I don't even think that's a huge problem for smaller shippers because I don't think they ever were on, had those. So, and probably a lot of freight brokers are going, what do you mean on-premise? So <laughs> that might be, that might be yeah. too young Mike, to even remember what, it, um, what does on-premise even mean? So yeah. please speak to that. Yeah. So you're spot on, right? So the smaller guys, right? Again, they were, they were always priced out of this, right? They just did not have the business case to actually buy a TMS system and implement a TMS system. And again, TMS systems have been around. I started at Manulogistics in 1995 and you know their TMS system had already been around for three or four years, right? So TMS systems have been around since the early 90s, all on-prem. And then we started seeing back in the early 2000s, the logistics.coms of the world come out and the lean logistics, these first true multi-tenant SaaS TMS applications, but they were still pretty much they were kind of second fiddles to the big boys. To, to so, when you, so you say multi-tenant, what do you mean by that? Multi-tenant would be one instance of the TMS application, one code base, essentially one database with logical partitions with different shippers in them, right? Okay. So I could have shipper A, B, and C, and D, and all of them are looking at the same code. All of them are in the same database. Right. Again, logically partitioned, so I can't see customer B's data, they right. can't see my data. But now there's one upgrade path. Everybody is on the exact same version. And just think about that from a software vendor's perspective. It makes managing the application and supporting it so much easier. Yeah. So what do you mean by when you say on-premise? The software? So on-premise means that... For, for, the, for those the, who are under 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so on-premise means that the software company delivers you... A disk. <laughs> a CD, a disk, right? And you now are going to install that and you're going to be responsible for doing patches and you're going to be responsible for having the hardware and the servers and the various instances of the application. Typically, large shippers will have three or four different instances, a production instance, a development instance, a test instance, right? So all of those things now become your responsibility. And, you know, back in the day, people wanted that, right? They wanted that level of control, especially the IT organizations that saw potentially this as being an existential threat to their lives livelihood, right? Hey, we don't need DBAs anymore. The vendor's going to do that. I don't need system admins, right? I think there's a lot of one-offs too, where we created this for you. I mean... <laughs> no question. And that is a... I always called that show probably politically incorrect. I call that heroin for the shipper, right? You, you have a short-term need and you inject the heroin, but it's terrible for you because ultimately now you are on your own path and you cannot upgrade now because if you upgrade, you're going to lose that heroin. You're going to lose that capability. Right. So again, a terrible analogy, but I think you get it. No, no, it I, I, have a, I have a daughter and she worked for a company that does these ERP systems. And when she was at the old one, she said, there's a whole bunch of companies that have never upgraded. They never update. So they have this old system and it doesn't match our new system. So we never update them. And she says, so you look at all our older customers, they're all that that's just because they're all stuck. Now she works for some tech startup out, well, not startup anymore out in Silicon Valley, where she said, there's no choice. Everybody updates. They just, just as you said, we're going to update at 1 a.m. to 1.15. It's going to be done. And it's across the board. Every customer is on the same level of software. Yeah. And the nice thing with this also is, you know, this, this model is, you know, you look at the kind of the legacy TMS guys and they were doing typically one release every year or sometimes one release every 18 months. The nimbler guys, these guys that are building out technology right now that didn't have all that legacy baggage, right? So it's one thing to build an on-premise application and then try to convert it while driving 100 miles an hour to the cloud. It's really, really hard to do. So these guys are still doing these annual releases, things like that. Some of the big guys, the guys that you'll see in the magic quadrant that are way up in the upper right side, right? But now 
we're seeing vendors on the SaaS side being able to do four, six, eight releases. I talk with some of my friends back at Manhattan Associates, and their goal is to be continuously upgrading. Every day, every week, they're attacking different modules and, right. and fixing and, and adding capabilities to those modules. Yeah. So this well, we is the, the- We get that. I, I use Outlook. I get that from Microsoft. I think I get an email three times a day from them saying we updated something and hey, good. Usually it's security threats, but that's what I want them to do. Don't shut me down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you say on-premise, these guys got a disk a long time ago. Did they get disk for every location or for... No, well, typically in transportation, it's a centralized function, right? So you'll have one big transportation management system that's going to be out of the IT, their infrastructure, right? So it's typically one location. Um, now, on the warehouse management side and other, and other applications are oftentimes, they're going to be different WMSs or different so, versions at, at DCs. But so for the these months, and the challenge has been for them is they're not doing a few shipments a week. They're doing, they're spending, again, hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's not easy to transition. Plus, they have 20 years, 30 years of data, right? Attached to these systems. So what percent, let's just say the largest shippers out there are still using something that's kind of that on-premise or legacy system? Way more than you think. (laughs) Um, You know, the big... A lot of it's, not, it's, not as if stuff, it's not as if they're falling down. It's just a little inconvenient. But again, they're they're driving battleships. They're, they're, they, these aren't cruisers. They're battleships. Yeah, they're yeah, turning yeah. around. The problem, though, Joe, is that you may be on an on-premise version, but there are no software companies out there anymore, including the big guys that are building their applications to be on-premise anymore. So what they're doing is they're telling you, hey, Joe, thank you for buying our software five years ago. Thank you for paying maintenance every year for the last five years. We are now going to move you to the cloud. And by the way, our pricing model's changed. Now we have a transactional pricing model that we're going to charge you based on your freight under management, your thumb, right? And and what I've seen, Joe, and and I, I consider this to be almost unethical, is that my big shippers that have paid millions of dollars for the software, for the implementation fees, Right. For Training everybody. Um, the, <laughs> right. the annual maintenance, they're now being treated just like everybody else because they're being charged the exact same subscription rates as a net new customer to that vendor, right? So everybody now, all of my clients, everybody has a strategy to move over to the cloud, but it is not easy. And oftentimes the software is completely different, right? So it's not like you're just, you need to just have the new infrastructure. It is a brand new application, a new UI. Right. So there's training implications. Right. There's interface implications. It is not, it's almost a re-implementation. Right. So we're seeing a lot of the shippers out there that are on-premise right now that are getting the quotes from their vendors saying, this is what it's going to cost you. And by the way, we need to re-implement because it's essentially new software, right? right. We're going to need to retrain. They're looking at this as an opportunity to go back and test the market because there is, like I said earlier, there's so much dynamic stuff that's happening in the market. So right. many new vendors coming so, in. Right. So if you're going to make this big switch and it's going to be painful, you might as well say, well, let's open it up. We haven't talked to anybody other than our on-premise provider in 20 years. Let's see what's out there. You know, in analogy, we used to use an automotive about these big, changes to either software or automotive platforms. We used to say it's like rewiring an airplane on the way from New York to LA because you're still in the air. You still have to keep things going, but we're rewiring the airplane. So you got to be very careful when you pull that plug (laughs) that you know where to plug it into. So that's often a very terrifying day when you actually do that cutover, right? Because especially for the larger guys, these guys that are doing millions and millions of dollars of transit. And oftentimes the shipping process on outbound is tied to revenue recognition. If you mess this up, 
there are significant implications to that organization, not just the ex, you know, customer service failures and things like that, but financial implications as well. So right. it is a terrifying day oftentimes. Yeah, and we just, we're kind of the tail end of COVID, or I'd like to think we're getting the tail end of COVID here in June of 2021. And I think to myself is when I went to the grocery store, for the most part over this last year, there was the stuff we wanted. Now we all know there was shortages here and there and some more important than others, but that was supply chain breakdowns. What you would never hear or haven't heard is, oh yeah, our legacy systems went down or Mike Mulqueen is helping us move over to a new system. So we had a down week. You can't do that when you're the largest shippers in the world. No, no, <laughs> no it's, you're spot on, right? So there's just huge implications of not being able to ship product, not being able to, we do a lot on the inbound side, not being able to receive product effectively, right? And that's why these upgrades and these implementations take so much time for these large shippers because you just can't be 90%, right? right. But what you're telling these people though is you don't even have a choice. If you're, you've got an on-premise system, the time is coming. You're a dinosaur. <laughs> you're a dinosaur and you're just waiting for the big bang. <laughs> Yeah. And again, we are huge proponents of, we've always been huge proponents of SaaS for all the things that we talked about, right? The continuous upgrade process, the network effect, right? So large shippers or, or large TMS providers that are multi-tenant, like the Blue Jays of the world, the trans places of the world, there's the network effect right now where I can start generating synergies across different shippers, right? So right. the continuous moves across shippers or even just benchmark information, monetizing the data. There's tons and tons of value in that. So we're huge proponents of it. But for my shippers, these billion dollar shippers, yeah. this is not an easy decision. This is hard. They know they got to do it, but right. and it ain't easy. And it's, as you said, it's your job to kind of show the ROI. Hey guys, when you get to the other side, you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, two years from now, you will be very happy, but it will not necessarily be the happiest two years of your life as we move. Yeah. It reminds me, Mike, it's like that Shawshank Redemption, that scene where he's going to jump through the sewage for a mile. <laughs> I'm going to use job. that, Joe. I'm going to use that. As it's, it's Mike's job to say, come on, just get in there. The river's not too far. <laughs> There's some soap down there. I am stealing that for sure. <laughs> that is awesome. It's good for analogy. So yeah. anyway, so this is one big chunk that's happening. And these are, again, you're talking about the, the largest TMS. Not necessarily, this does not apply necessarily to all the freight brokers and the free PLs that are using their own proprietary. Again, they, right. in some ways, they have it easier because they don't have this enormity behind them. So that's one trend. What's another trend that's going on out there? Well, one thing that we're seeing is just tons of innovation, right? So, I mean, it's funny when like your mother knows about supply chain management, right? It's just been so much in the news, right? With COVID, especially with no toilet, all of a sudden people are really talking about it. And we're seeing the financial institutions, the private equity guys, the VC guys getting really, really involved in this. We're seeing a lot of new innovation coming out. Probably in the last five years, more innovation has come out than in the previous 15 years. So I think, and then we're also, as part of that, we're seeing a lot of M&A activity, right? So right. just last week, Blue Jay is being acquired now by E2Open. We saw Panasonic buying Blue Yonder. We see a lot of the TMS systems supplementing their capabilities. So, uh, so Transplants buying scan data on the parcel side, things along right. those lines. So, so what are some of the, give us the top five or 10 3PL systems out there. Well, TMS systems. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Three BLs so, use their own, but what's the largest TMS that, that are out there? Yeah, so I would think, you know, kind of the two big guys, the guys that really battle, and this is primarily, Joe, for these really, really large multimodal global shippers, right? So for those guys, we typically see two, and then if you want to include SAP as well. SAP typically does not necessarily compete in RFPs. There's a lot of sole source stuff that happens directly to SAP. But the two big guys that are best known out there are the Blue Yonder TMS, which is essentially the child of the I2 TMS system from way back in the day. Again, the system that was built out in the early 90s under ITLS. I used that for another application years ago, the I2 stuff. Yeah, that's Blue Yonder slash Panasonic or whatever we're calling them today. And of course, Oracle, which was the G-Log, right? So the founders of G-Log, Mitch Wesley and the guys from Manugistics went over and formed G-Log and G-Log was actually acquired by Oracle. And kudos to Oracle. Oracle let those guys, these guys were TMS experts. They let those G-Log guys alone and they have built out now what I would arguably say is probably those guys in the Blue Yonder guys, the two leading TMS guys out there. The other big ones out there, Manhattan Associates, a strong TMS. They don't have that many clients, but they have the big ones. A client like Home Depot, right? So they have some big monsters, some really big grocery chains, things like that. As I mentioned, you have SAP. Then you have some really, really good providers out there that are really focused on TMS primarily, right? You have Oracle and Manhattan. They're focused on different things, right? So they're focused on warehouse management, distributed order management, Oracle, a database company, et cetera, with an ERP platform. SAP is everything, right? Big ERP platform. But then you have kind of the pure play guys, right? Think of the Mercury Gates of the world, the, the uh, 3G TMSs of the world, the Blue Jays of the world, Transplay, C.H. Robinson with their Navisphere TMC application, right? So there's a lot of applications and, out there. And these are systems that the largest shippers say, we'll buy it. And then we're working with third-party logistics companies or carriers. We're not expecting them to bring the technology. And again, I think so many people listening to this podcast say, wait, you don't need to buy a system. I'll bring it to you because I have worker gate. But I think some of the largest shippers, they say, look, we're spending $200 million a year on freight. I don't need you to bring me a TMS. We'll buy our own, thank you. And we'll integrate it on our own because we want the ability to shift. If we, if we don't like yeah. Carrier or uh, 3PL, we can switch. If yeah, I have yeah. your system installed, it's not easy to it's, say. It's harder. It's harder. But, but <laughs> that's one of the things that we do in, our, in my practice, right? Is transportation management a competency that you really want to hone? Because right now, I mean, transportation, I usually use, it can, depends on the industry. It depends on the mode of shipping and all that kind of stuff. But for on the CPG side, I'm thinking typically around 3 to 5% of revenue is going towards transportation. So if I'm a $10 billion company, I'm spending 300 to $500 million on transportation. And that's in a truckload world. If I'm going parcel, it's even more, right? And what I found is that, you know, we've worked with and we've done some assessments from Ryder and from Penske and XPO and DHL and C.H. Robinson and Transplace. These guys, either they're using, a lot of those guys are actually using either OTM, the Oracle Transportation System, or the Blue Yonder System, or Mercury Gate in some instances, right? right? Or they built out their own. Organizations like Blue Jay and Transplace and C.H. Robinson have built out very, very strong TMS applications. And I'm very, very impressed with how those three PLs operate because that is their business. And it's not just the smaller guys. When I was working with a very large CPG company that everybody on the call would know, they didn't want to run this transportation. They wanted to go to an expert. And we evaluated the experts and the experts are on the hook for the technology. They're on the hook for the KPIs. They're on the hook for continuous improvement. They need to come to my shippers every year or every quarter or every QBR that we do. And here's some ideas that we think that you guys should be implementing. And are you going to have that same level of skill internally? Are you going to hone that skill or do you want to outsource it? And for a lot of my guys, we'll assess the organization, we'll assess the payback. 
and we'll say, yeah, I think outsourcing probably makes a lot of sense for y'all. Or maybe it doesn't. Right. And again, I've worked with the smaller shippers and I've worked with shippers up to, you know, maybe a hundred million dollars. And then they get that when you get to that larger side, they start saying, well, it's no big deal. We'll go out and buy that system. If we need to invest in systems, we'll invest in systems. We need to get some guys, some tech guys, some engineers to make it all work. That's fine. And they're a little more comfortable with the investment. I'll tell you, when you bring a TMS to somebody who's a smaller uh, customer, spending a million dollars a year, it's like Christmas day. Like, oh my God. (laughs) But for the big guys, they aren't going to be um, that impressed that with, with that because they're going to want more control potentially. Potentially, right? And the control with the managed service providers is really this constant interaction and working with them. So you don't just pretty much just give everything over to them and just walk away, right? You are still working with them from a leadership perspective. You're still having weekly meetings and, and saying, these are the QBRs. Here's our on time. Here's how often you're hitting the spot. Here's our accept. All those key things that really drive transportation right. efficiencies. But, you know, it's, I wouldn't just limit. I mean, look at TransPlace right now. TransPlace has huge shippers that are using their managed service, especially on the CPG side and the chemical side. Very, very big shippers. So right. it's correlated, certainly, Joe, to the size, but it's not a 1.0 correlation in terms of size. Right. You know. right. So you mentioned the SMA activity. And it's, is it having, well, first off, what's driving that? Why are you seeing all these purchases? Yeah, well, the multiples are ridiculous. Just yesterday, Project 44 went through, I think it was the Series E funding, right? Which gave them a valuation, a paper valuation of $1.2 billion on approximately $50 million of revenue. That's 25 times revenue, right? That's not price to earnings. That's 25 times revenue. So uh, that is compelling for organizations, for these small shippers or for these small tech companies out of a garage to go out and build some stuff, get five or $10 million with just, you know, solving a niche problem. And again, I don't want to mean P44. They're solving a big, they're solving a first order problem. problem. Disability. (laughs) Where's my stuff? Everybody cares about that, right? So again, and they're doing it in a very elegant way with APIs and they're doing a lot of the work around globalization. They're going into China. They're really focused with their Ocean Insights app. I saw they just bought Clear Metal last week too. And I just had Adam, the founder of that campaign on my podcast. We talked about what they're doing. I was really impressed with what they're doing because you mentioned the ocean. They're having visibility well beyond just the United States. And P44 bought Ocean Insights a few months ago, right? Yes, for, for yep. The ocean piece. I think the clear metal piece, you know, the clear metal guys, a bunch of Silicon Valley guys, right? So really sharp guys, AI, ML type stuff. So I yep. think that the P44 leadership is kind of building out kind of core capabilities as much as they can. And where they see a gap, they now have funding to go out. So I would think that P44 right. is not finished buying stuff. I see the same thing on the four kites side, right? So four kites, they just announced a big partnership with DAT. So you you think these are M&A is just driven by just this desire to kind of create the next great solution out there? I think so. This is where I think it it gets a little bit tricky. Right. So, you know, the founders have that vision. The founders, you know, that they're coming in and they're excited. And then all of a sudden when you get VC money or, you know, you get taken over by private equity. Does that change the organization? Does it change what their mission was? Is it now driven more by the balance sheet and income statement versus Here's a big business need. Is it going to change the culture of the organization? And sometimes it will. And it's needed oftentimes, right? So the guys that start these companies, you know, they're entrepreneurial, but maybe they're really good at building a company to 10 or $20 million, but they're not good at taking it to the next level. So bringing in that expertise is great, but also what do PEs want to do? They want to flip that company in three, four, five years, right? How do you make the balance sheet look good if you're not growing that? You know, you maybe cut R&D, right? So there's some things that I coach my shipper clients to really t- kind of think about. If you're going to go into a partnership with somebody, is there a vision aligned with yours? 
Is this an organization that's going to be quickly sold? And then the other key thing that I really work with with them on is, is the organization that you're working with, is it an acquisition target? And if it is acquired, right? There's a, I mean, we've seen this so many times where it's acquired, but it's not acquired for the asset that I'm running, a TMS system. It might be acquired for the warehouse management system. So Blue Yonder, well, let's call them, it was JDA at that time when they bought Red Prairie. They bought Red Prairie for their WMS system, but Red Prairie also had a TMS system. All those clients that were on the Red Prairie TMS system were abandoned. On the Manulogistics side, JDA bought Manulogistics. Great supply chain planning, demand forecasting, replenishment fulfillment software, a TMS system that was a very good TMS system with a lot of clients. But then when they acquired I2, those Manulogistics clients were abandoned. We right. may see this again. So last week, Blue Jay being acquired by E2 Open. Blue Jay, a great TMS system, but E2 Open has cloud logistics. Right. My sense is that what's going to happen is all the cloud logistics guys, a much smaller TMS system, much smaller client base, they're all going to be abandoned and forced to move over. Well, so right. it's, the same, it's the same thing with the on-premise guys where they're being forced. I mean, yes. that you have to move one day. It, it probably isn't going to happen overnight, but you're going to get the notice, hey, this, we're going to discontinue supporting the on-premise solution. You're going to move over to the other side. And there's an integration and the implementation. Same things happens because of this M&A activity. Potentially, they say, hey, congratulations, we got bought. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. We're no longer supporting this as of January 1, so let's begin the party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and again, you know, we'll see how the, and, and this, this is always, these acquisitions, there's not always a happy story with these acquisitions, right? You can just imagine the boardroom, we're going to buy, you know, we're going to acquire these guys and we're going to integrate, but there's always discrepancies in the tech stacks, right? There's always technical debt that you may not be aware of when all of a sudden you get it in the house and you're looking at the application. Oh my God, we need to fix X, Y, and Z because they took all these shortcuts because they were a startup. They had no money, right? So all of these things need to be taken into account. And, you know, you always sit there and you say, okay, we're going to buy this and buying this with our existing portfolio of products is going to make a one plus one equals three type of scenario, right? Where we generate all these synergies and too often that just doesn't happen. Right. And you said the other day, yesterday when we were prepping is this idea of, hey, some of this stuff could be in cobalt. I mean, there's going to be stuff that is, that is a language. <laughs> I would that hope a that dead the, language. the acquiring company would look at that before. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, it's again, some of this stuff is this is the nature of being a big shipper is this, they really might have started this journey 25 years ago, 30 years ago before other people were using uh, TMS. So, so we talked a little bit about this on premise. Everyone's going to have to make that shift. Then we talk about M&A. And this, some people will have to make a shift. So these really are good for you and uh, your buddies over at JBF, because some of these people are going to say, we need help to make that transition. Others are going to say, you know what, if we're going to have to make this transition, let's open it up. Let's see who we should be using. You know, if we're going to be doing an implementation, let's see what's the best software. So good reasons to call JBF on those. So one other thing we want to talk about is this idea of the evolution in, that we're seeing in software. So speak to that. So many changes. I mean, we talked about Project 44, but just talk about yeah. some of the trends that you're seeing in the software. You know, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing right now is the TMS systems, especially the big guys, right? The guys that we would typically look to, they initially tried to be everything to everybody. And if you think about all the different processes around transportation management, you have a procurement, a rates procurement process. You have a modeling process, the ability to model different transportation flows. And, and what if I ship to Long Beach versus Savannah versus all those different modeling capabilities, right? You have inbound and outbound and STOs that, that need to be managed. You have freight settlement and visibility and event management, all these different components. And the TMS guys, you know, they, they tried to build out something that had 
breadth across all those different areas. But what we found was that the breadth just wasn't matched by the depth that was required to support these large shippers. So I think that the TMS guys have finally come to the realization they cannot be everything to everybody and they need to do strategic partnerships. And along with those strategic partnerships comes an implied capability around integration, the openness of their applications via APIs and messaging technologies like JSON, right? So the ability to do all those different things, I think has been a big realization that now we're not going out and looking, Joe, for a single TMS. We are looking to build out a logistics infrastructure that includes yard management, dock scheduling, TMS capabilities, procurement. And I'm not typically going to one vendor for this anymore. I'm trying to build out these infrastructures and I never use the term seamless integration because that's all integration <laughs> is painful. But but the new tools that are out oh, there, <laughs> yeah, I mean there there's some just great integration platforms out there like the MuleSoft, you know, the, these API management tools that allow for us to build out these ecosystems in a manner that simulates a single system as much as possible. That I think is the biggest trend that we're staying aside from the obvious ones, like everybody moving to to SaaS and things like that, because especially for the big guys, right? I often use an analogy, a punk rock guy, and I love Frank Turner, and he has a song about fitting like mittens instead of gloves, right? And the breadth of the TMS systems, if you just go with one particular vendor, it's going to fit like a mitten, right? It's not going to be a great fit. And all that empty space is lost dollars, right? So now what we need to do is have everything fit like a glove, but work in concert with one another. Similar to, I mean, this is, I know one of your sponsors is Turbo. This is something that a Turbo system would be able to do for us, right? Being able to normalize data and extend that data out through a collaborative means to trading partners, right? right? Because I now have now, for some of my shippers, I will have a brokerage application, it might be, I might be using MercuryGate or McLeod. Um, right. I'm going to have a TMS system. I could be using OTM or Blue Yonder or BlueJay. I'm going to have a route planning system, which might be Ortec or Descartes or Omnitrax. I'm going to have potentially a parcel system, which could be Logistics right. or Quad or, or whoever it might be. So now I have all of these different applications, all speaking different ways, right? All cloud-based. And I need one way to normalize. I need one place because I don't want to give users access to all my different, I want one place, right? right. So that is the evolution, right? right? It's. I was talking like when we were prepping for this, I used this, uh, I was talking about like my mobile phone. Is my mobile phone, so let's just say I have a Samsung phone, they don't have any apps. I can download the app, I can download DoorDash and Lyft and yep. whatever else I want. Is that kind of the a, one way to look at this is that I need something that allows me to download whatever app I want. So if I want something specialized, I don't have to worry that my technology provider doesn't do that real well. <laughs> yeah. So, and that is the ultimate evolution. And I have not seen people that are there yet. And maybe some of your listeners will have seen you know, some smaller players that are doing this, but you're spot on, right? So, you know, being a product manager in the past, annual releases, right? You would have a steering committee and you would allocate some right. amount of time for the steering committee to say, oh, these are the capabilities we want. You'd have a voting process, really kind of archaic right. stuff. And then two years later, that capability gets in. But because right. everybody was on premise, they can't do it because they don't have an upgrade right. budget, right? <laughs> Right. I, I do remember doing this in, in when I was still in automotive is we were developing systems and we they would always have this scope creep where we say, oh, we're doing this and this. And then somebody go, you know what? If you just added two more fields, you can do this and this. And then it would just continue. And then at some point, what ends up happening is you're doing, you're like a mile wide and an inch deep. And yes. what you're getting to is, I don't want a mile wide and inch deep. Be really good at what you're doing. If you're creating a warehouse management system, go all in, create a wonderful warehouse management system an inch wide and a mile deep, and we'll find the 
you know, the brokerage stuff and the other stuff to put all together in one system that's got to be cohesive that pulls it yeah. all together. The breadth issue is a function of the RFP, right? So with an RFP, the last thing a software vendor ever wants to do is say, no, we can't do this, right? So do you have yard management capabilities, right? Do you have docs? So they want to say yes to all those different things, right? But the breadth, you know, when you actually go and you start doing the implementation, what do you mean you can't do a drop trailer? What do you mean right. you can't do, you know, right. two different, a frozen and a refrigerated drop at my DC, right? Right. Well, that's, it's interesting. You, we were talking about Emerge the other day and you said this idea of they do RFPs really well and you can get that done really quick. So I can do them all the time. I can do an RFP for once a quarter, not instead of once a year. And you said, yeah, other systems out there have RFP capability. It just wasn't their strong suit. It wasn't where they focused their energies. So let Emerge create this wonderful RFP system. Let the warehouse management guy create his system and pull it all together. And that when you say pull it all together, who are the, some of those platforms that are trying to pull all that together? You know what? Uh, yeah. So think about this being almost like, a you know, I hate using software vendor marketing terms, but a control tower, right? So, you know, they control towers that we see out there. Think of like the Illuminates control tower from Blue Yonder or what Turbo would be doing, right? And Turbo, is, I think it's more than a control tower because it's all this collaborative it, nature it, stuff it and, and the ability. Yeah. So <laughs> the visibility. So, yeah. And these are fabulous tools, especially now, when you can't have a monolithic application, when you come to the right. realization that these software vendors cannot do everything, that by necessity means I'm going to have these different components right. that I need to then be able to extract information out and put it in a way that can be then consumed by stake. Right. And that's what Turbo or Illuminate would be able to do for you, right. right? And a lot of the organizations are just actually, you know, instead of doing, they're taking the kind of the poor man's way where they're essentially extracting the data out, normalizing it and putting it into a data lake. But again, right. that process is typically, you know, you're looking at data from last week or Right. or two weeks ago, as opposed to real operational data. Right. And I think one of the things that I just did a podcast the other day on everything to everyone that was called with J.D. Redmond, and it was more re related more to towards market niches. And it's interesting when you're in, um, I did a lot of digital marketing in the space. And one of the things is for a long time, when you talk to anybody who was in the, you know, broker 3PL, you say, well, what business are you in? They'd say, oh, we can, we get your trucks, we get your boats, we get your planes, you name it. I got it all. And after a while, it's like, you know, when you say you're everything to everyone, you really know one to everyone. Because again, you're a mile wide and an inch deep. And that's not what everyone wants. They want a specialist. I want an expert. I don't want to go to my family doctor to get a filling. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it makes things a little bit, you know, it makes the process of building out and determining the proper ecosystem. It makes that, you know, you, you need to spend a little bit more time up front. And that's, again, that's what we do at JBF. We do what, what I call desired end state analysis, right? What are the capabilities that we need to have in a few years? What are the key things? And what's the impact? If we did this better, how much is this going to help us from a customer service perspective, a inventory perspective, right? But, you know, we're seeing inflation go up. That's going to have an impact on inventory costs, right? What is the financial impact of doing these different things? That helps us prioritize. And then we then help our shippers then figure right. out, okay, these right. are the three things we need to do. These are the vendors that we need to look at. This is the ecosystem. Right. Ultimately, it's a little bit more complex process up front. But then I start fitting like gloves instead of mittens. Right. So, Mike, I'm going to summarize this. I want to get your final thoughts. I want you to tell us a little bit more about JBF. So what you said is your time really, your focus is the biggest shippers in the world, right? the Fortune 500 shippers. So this M&A activity that you're seeing across the board is disruptive. It's going to drive some people out of the software they have to something else. They might want to make a move. And then you talked about the migration. Whether you like it or not, that on-premise is going away hopefully in an orderly fashion. And a lot of companies you said are, are starting to look and say, if I have to switch, maybe I should open up my 
selection process. Who, yeah. who yeah. should I be working with? And then the last thing, you just talked about this evolution of all the softwares, which is becoming, you can't be everything to everyone. Let specific vendors be the experts in that space. And then you'll have a larger ecosystem, the turbos and the others that pull it all together. And again, one other analogy I'll use, and we talked about offline is I use WordPress. A lot of people use WordPress and WordPress doesn't say we'll put, we'll make a calendar app. We won't do this. We won't do that. But you can always put a plug in. And it's nice because the reason people like WordPress is say, they don't force me into using them from start to finish. If I, if there's a better plugin, grab it. They're all about that. So that's why the 30% of the websites out there are made on WordPress. Yeah. Anyway, final thoughts on this topic before we talk about JBF. Yeah. So, and just to add to the last point, right? So this is even within, right? So we talked about the different sub processes, right? So within a procurement event, we may use, you know, the Emerge platform, which is going to be a real nimble way that I can go out and do mini bids, right? On the modeling side, I might be using the Llamasoft app. Anyway, these applications do need to be tied together. But even then within a sub process, let's say I'm trying to just do inbound planning or outbound planning. One of the big things that we're seeing, and, and I think the leader in this right now, and I love what Manhattan is doing around what they call their microservices active platform, right? So their, their WMS and their distributed order management system have already been on this active platform. They just moved their TMS to the platform. I think they announced it last week. But essentially, this is, I think, longer term, the evolution of this would be an organization like ours or any organization could start building plugins into the TMS system. Right. So if there's something within that TMS system that I do not like, I want a better view into right. my doc schedule. I want the optimization to do things right. differently. The well, ability e-commerce too, right? We're oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the ability then to code something and then have that just be a plugin. And you know, Without the disruption. <laughs> yeah. And five years from now, I could see going to the Apple store or the you know Google Play and being able to download a component to a TMS right. application that makes the TMS application better. And again, you know, these platforms are constantly upgrading, but the promise of the vendors are these little microservice bolt-ons right. will be upgradable. So when they constantly are upgrading, you don't break yours, right? There's right. A, so yeah. I love that component. And again, every gap that we run into within a TMS system has a cost. It could be a cost around labor. It could be a cost around efficiency or productivity, whatever. Let's fill in as much of those costs as we possibly can. So anyway, yeah. some of the exciting stuff there. Yeah. And it's funny because we as all consumers have all lived, if you started with the internet like I did, remember, oh, well, this is upgrading. It's going to take the next half a day to upgrade. Yeah. I'll just do nothing. I won't have access. We've all lived that. And then, you know, it's funny if, if I get some message that says, we're going to upgrade for 10 minutes, let us know when. I'm like, oh my God, why do I have to let it upgrade for 10 minutes? And I forget <laughs> 20 years ago, it was like, it would just go down and you go, oh, it's upgrading. And who yeah. knows when it'll stop. I don't have fast internet, so it could be forever. So I think the whole idea, though, is yeah. don't take me down. I don't want big implementations that drag me through the mud for six months, exhaust my staff and upset my customers. Nobody wants that. There's no value to it. Again, you're doing an upgrade because you're forced to do an upgrade. There's no value to it. There's no business value. Let's eliminate those costs and focus on things that are really going to benefit the organization. Well, the people who can do that for me is JBF Consulting. So tell us what's going on over at JBF. Well, first off, tell us who you serve and what you guys do. Yeah, so we primarily serve as shippers. Our client base, as you mentioned, Joe, it's typically larger shippers with hundreds of millions of dollars of freight spend, TJ Maxx, 
Ingram Micro. There's a lot of a bunch of clients, just typically, typically very large shippers. And again, we're, we're broken up into three different pieces, right? So I lead kind of the beginning piece. And the beginning piece is what we call the, the blueprinting process, where we kind of, we, we work with our client and typically a very short-term engagement, very, very lightly stepped. It's typically myself or a colleague for six to eight weeks or so. And we really work with the organization to understand what the desired end state needs to be. What are the capabilities that we need to have, not today, but in right. five years? And we typically try to align those capabilities. We do an impact assessment. You know, when I just, I just finished this for a client, we came up with 15 different areas that we were going to attack. We came up with the impact assessment, be it customer service, be it a financial impact, whatever it would be. And then we help the organization come up with a short list of vendors that we think we need to be starting to talk to, to then start building out this dream vision. We also then have an implementation staff. Our implementation staff is, we have expertise in all of the major TMS platforms. And again, just a long history of doing implementations. JBS has been around for since 2003. So we have a lot of experience with all of the various platforms. Plus we know everybody at all the different software companies. So we can kind of cut through the red tape, (laughs) all that kind of good stuff. You guys call on the bad phone. (laughs) You know, we, the good thing is being as old as I, I am, right? I just happen to know everybody. So I don't go through the account managers. We cut through the red tape there. And then the final practice we have, Joe, is what we call the accelerate practice. And one of the gaps that we've seen from a consulting perspective is oftentimes the goal of an implementation team is to go live, right? So we are going to work for the next six months. We're going to do a go live. We're going to open the champagne up and then we're going to leave. And then what we start seeing is a decay in the TMS system over time. And the decay starts day two. And we see this continuous decay. So we've been working with some of our shippers to help them. And this also includes the managed service capabilities. We actually do some load planning for some organization right. things along those lines. But the area I think that is most compelling to us is being able to monitor the efficacy of a system and look at those key KPIs and understanding when things start to go a little bit out of whack and then do corrective measures. Because ultimately, so many of the organizations that we deal with, when I first go in there, we shut the door and they say, man, we are screwed. We're using this big TMS platform that we bought 15 years ago as essentially an electronic clipboard. We're doing everything manually. We're not using the brains of the application. We don't trust the results of the application, right? So, and we just see that as a big gap. And and we see that, you know, I really don't like it when the software vendor says we got a customer live in three months because I question, what did you get them live doing? Are you just replicating the old processes with new shiny technology or did you really make a step change? Yeah. So that's the accelerate practice. I always like the idea of, and I don't hear it said as much, but I like the idea of business rules and a surrounding software. And I like the idea of the process being enabled and almost like, hey, if you're going to do that process, you have to do it through here. There's no other way to do it. It drives me nuts when somebody is able to go around a software. Yeah. <laughs> and, and users will. And honestly, it's not that there's a nefarious, there's a better way to do it in the user's mind, right? And oftentimes they don't understand the implications of going around the software, right? They're just trying to get a task done. They go around the software, but again, we're doing reporting, we're doing analytics, we're, and we're doing it off the wrong data, right? right? So those are the types of things that we are trying to capture now through a reporting mechanism that shows not KPIs around operations, right? Not accept decline ratios, not cost per mile per ton, things like that. But how often are my planners changing things? Right. Right? How many expired rates do I have in my system? You know, all kinds of things that kind of give us a sense as to the health of the underlying system, as opposed to how well our operations are performing. So, right. Well, and it's funny. I think it's this. Well, it's always the yin and the yang. You have technology providers who say, "Yes, this can do everything. This will wake you up in the morning, make your breakfast." And then there's the users who are like, "Hey, I go to the system, I print this out, and then I put it into Excel, and then, and then I, and then I make a report in PowerPoint." And you're like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! How'd this happen?" 
<laughs> so, well, the, the, being, I'll kind of I'll leave the listeners with this last thought. But the last thing I think that you ever want to do is trust a software vendor salesperson, right? They <laughs> are never going to say no. You know, can we do this? Oh, yes. The answer is always yes. And then if you listen for the next 30 minutes or so, the real answer was no, but the answer was yes. So, and that's essentially what we do. We serve as that advocate for large shippers to kind of cut through the right. junk. We know the gaps. We know all of these different, we've implemented them. We spent months and months and months working with these different providers. You've, and we you've know seen, what all, the real you've gaps seen all the pitfalls and all the yeah. uh, problems that are out there. We have. But it, it's very promising and we're very optimistic what's happening from a technology perspective. It's going in the right direction, but it is not easy then to build out these ecosystems and make them work for a big shipper or a small shipper. Well, Mike, what I'll do is I'll put a link to JBF Consulting in the show notes. And I'll also put a link to your LinkedIn profile. And if people want to reach out, they can. And again, <laughs> when you find yourself abandoned because of uh, M&A activity or having to move off that old on-premise system, you're the guy. Call, call us. You know, we'll, we'll help you out. <laughs> you can cry on their shoulder for the first half hour. <laughs> and start a plan. All right, Mike. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. This is always interesting. And again, I think you have a very different perspective than what I normally talk to is people who are providers and bringing the software. And you guys working with the very biggest uh, shippers, it's a really a different view. <laughs> Not an easy one up there either. <laughs> it's all good. All good. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you, Joe. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. <laughs>